Christ Church, it's good to be back with you this evening. As you may know, I, I was uh, filling the pulpit at Church Creek Presbyterian Church this morning in West Ashley. Uh, their, their pastor, Pastor Nick Batsig, was on vacation, so it was a joy to preach to them God's Word, and it's a, another joy to, to be here preaching to you. So please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word from John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18, as we continue Our series on these I Am Statements of Christ, we come to John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18, where our Lord Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ, our Savior, who is our good shepherd. We pray, O God, that you would speak to us this evening as your word is read and preached, that we would hear the voice of our shepherd and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. Well, last Lord's Day, we looked at the third of seven I am statements that Christ makes in John's gospel. Earlier in this chapter, John chapter 10, in verses 7 through 10, Jesus declares twice, I am the door. And then I am the door of the sheep, he says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There, uh, in that passage, we saw that Christ, after He miraculously gives sight to a blind man in John chapter 9, He tells the Pharisees that just as that man was physically blind, so they too are spiritually blind because they can't see the mighty things that God is doing among them, those things that He does among them through Christ. These Jewish leaders that Christ is speaking to ignore their responsibility to shepherd this poor man who had just received sight, and instead they banish him from the synagogue because he won't condemn Christ for healing on the Sabbath. It's because of their spiritual blindness and because of their rejection of this man that Christ, here in John chapter 10, confronts the Jewish leaders once again. And at the beginning of this chapter, he illustrates and elaborates upon a point that he's trying to make with a figure of speech, as John says, a a parable about a shepherd and his sheep. And then, because as John says in verse 6, they did not understand what he was saying to them. The Jewish leaders didn't know what Christ was trying to communicate with this parable, so Christ goes on 
to explain that parable in verses 7 through 18. And he begins that explanation, again, as we saw last Lord's Day, by telling them that he is the door. Christ is the only viable means of entry into the sheepfold. There's only one way, only one way to gain entry into the flock of God. Only one way to be saved. Only one way to have life and to have it abundantly. Jesus says that he is that only way. Apart from Christ, there is sorrow and death, but with Christ, there is joy and there is life. But Christ goes on. He doesn't stop there in in verse 10, but he continues. Christ is not only the door, he's also the shepherd. It's important that we understand that the parable that Jesus tells in verses 1 to 5 is not an allegory. If it was, uh, that would mean that every element of the story corresponds to a specific person or thing. And so Jesus says that he is the door. Uh, that, that doesn't mean that he can't also be another character in this parable. This parable that, that Jesus is telling isn't like uh, Pilgrim's Progress, where every character is named for a particular uh, virtue or vice or whatever the case may be, and their personality and their actions throughout the story match the name that they've been given. It's not even uh, like another parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the sower, which he tells in Matthew chapter 13. There, in his explanation, Christ says that each of the different soils corresponds directly to a specific type of person who is hearing and responding or not responding to the word of the Lord. This parable is slightly different. There are multiple layers to what John calls this figure of speech. And Christ himself, as we'll see, represents more than one element in this parable so that he can be the door and at the same time, he can be the shepherd. Jesus isn't confused and so that's why he applies two different metaphors to himself. No, he's simply showing that his work for his sheep is multifaceted and that it takes many different forms. Not only is Christ the only way to the Father, he's also the caretaker of all those who come to him by grace through faith. Tonight, we will explore verses 11 through 18 and see the rest of this explanation that Christ gives. In these verses, Jesus tells the Pharisees and tells his disciples that he is the good shepherd. He's the caretaker. He is the protector of the sheep of God. He knows his sheep so well, in fact, that he calls each by name, and they each listen only to his voice. Christ loves them so well, as we see, that he lays down his life for them. The good shepherd, Christ says in verses 11 through 13, lays down his life for the sheep. There again, we read, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
This phrase that Christ uses in verse 11, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, is vital for us to understand. And that preposition for here, the word huper in the Greek, is an important word when used in the context of Christ's atoning work. It's vital for us to understand this little preposition. What Christ shows when he says that the good shepherd lays down, the life, down his life for the sheep is a very important theological concept of substitution. Substitution. The good shepherd, Christ tells us, substitutes his life for the life of the sheep. Christ, our Lord, dear ones, is our great substitute. He died in our place. And while nailed to that cross, he bore the wrath of God, taking upon himself that punishment that you and I deserve because of our great and many sins. This idea of the atonement of Christ as substitutionary is explored throughout the Bible in many different places. But we see it just by, for one, to give one example, we see it in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, where the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ, he says, loved me and gave himself for me. The question we need to ask, the question we need to answer is what does for me mean at the end of this verse? Paul says, Christ loved me. He gave himself for me. And in that phrase, you and I see the heart, the heart of the gospel. When Paul says that Christ gave himself up for me, when Christ says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, it means a few different things. Certainly, this preposition for and this idea of Christ as our substitute can take the idea of that Christ is, uh, is giving himself to us in various ways. And so he said one way is we can see it as solidarity, where Christ is saying, that he is suffering along with his people. Along with his people. Christ suffers in a magnified way than any of us had, have had to suffer, but Christ suffers in a very human way, along with his people. Christ, our Savior, has a real human body with a human mind and human emotions, human pain sensors. Contrary to some heretics, Christ's suffering was not simply an illusion. It really happened. Christ's suffering didn't just happen on the cross, though. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read of Christ enduring temptation as well. Hebrews 4 verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. As our substitute, the Son of God took on human flesh, enduring temptation, suffering on our behalf and along with us. So this preposition for can certainly have that idea. 
Christ suffers along with his people. He's also, this, this idea of, of, uh, that Christ loved me and gave himself for me has the idea of uh, as my representative. As my representative. In the Old Testament, priests performed sacrifices on behalf of the people. Prophets spoke to the people on behalf of God. They were ordained representatives of the people to God and God to the people. Just as if you were in a court of law, you had for some reason to hire a lawyer, that lawyer would argue a case for you in court as your advocate, as your representative. Christ is our substitute because he advocates on our behalf and represents us before God. Christ, Paul says, loved me and gave himself for me. I could also take the idea, and here in John chapter 10, verse 11, it certainly carries along with it this idea that Christ loved me and gave himself in my place. In my place. He died for me. More than simply uh, solidarity with the sheep or the represent, representative nature of Christ's mediation, the fact that Christ is our substitute means that he takes upon himself the punishment reserved for you and for me. Christ dies in the place of ruined sinners so that all who believe in him would be saved. And that hymn uh, that's so familiar to many of us, Man of Sorrows, what a name, we sing these words, bearing shame And scoffing rude, in my place condemned, he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a Savior. In my place condemned, he stood. That punishment that is rightfully yours, that's rightfully mine to bear, the punishment that is the wages for the sin that you and I commit every day, That same punishment was placed upon his shoulders. Christ became sin for you, dear one, so that you and I and all who believe in him would become the righteousness of God. Christ doesn't merely represent me or you. He bears the consequences of my sin for me, of your sin. For you. That is the heart of the gospel. That Christ has done what you and I cannot do by succumbing to the death that you and I justly deserve to give us the life we don't deserve. This, this here, as Christ shows us in John chapter 10 verses 11 through 13, is the very center point of the difference between the good shepherd and the hired hand. The one who doesn't own the sheep doesn't lay down his life for the sheep. No, he flees when there is trouble. The Old Testament uses many metaphors to describe the relationship between the people of God and the leaders of the people. But one that comes up time and again is this image, of course, of the shepherd and his sheep. 
There, there are many uh, places that we could go to see this played out throughout uh, the Old Testament. But one passage that Christ will surely have had in mind as he uh, speaks these words about this hired hand is Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, where the Lord is prophesying against, through his prophet Ezekiel, he is speaking a harsh word of condemnation upon the shepherds of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10, we read these words. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. These wicked shepherds are condemned by the Lord for their selfishness, their foolishness, their failure to protect the sheep. These shepherds in Ezekiel 34, just like the hired workers in John chapter 10, allow the wolves to scatter the sheep. They don't care for them as they ought. They take advantage of the sheep rather than protect them. They seek to take from the sheep rather than provide for them. In contrast, these hired workers, the good shepherd loves his sheep. He provides for their every need. He puts his loving and caring arms around them. The good shepherd even goes so far as to do what his sheep cannot do, to die for the sins of others. And in his dying, Christ, our good shepherd, secures the redemption of his sheep. It's because of his great love for the sheep that the shepherd is willing and able to lay down his life for them. Jesus, a little later in the Gospel of John, will say this to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Our good shepherd, Christ the Lord, laid down his life for his sheep. But not only that, Christ, as he says in verse, verses 14 through 16, Christ, our, our good shepherd, also intimately knows his sheep, and they know him. 
verse 14, John chapter 10, verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. In this parable that Jesus is explaining in these verses, that parable that's found in the beginning of John chapter 10, Jesus says this of the shepherd in verses 3 through 5. He says, To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The sheep know their shepherd. They don't listen to strangers because they don't recognize the strangers' voices. But Christ, on the other hand, the good shepherd, is not a stranger. He knows his sheep so well that he calls each by name, leading them out, going before them, and the sheep follow him. This intimate knowledge that Christ has between that has of the sheep extends to every single one of his sheep. Christ will not forget the least and the lowest sheep, but he will seek his own and he calls them by name. Dear one, if you are in Christ, he is even now calling you by name. The imagery of Christ as the good shepherd is so wonderfully comforting because of this intimate knowledge that Christ says the sheep have of the shepherd and the shepherd have of the sheep. Dear believer, Christ knows you. He knows the worries and anxieties of your heart. He knows what you need before you can ask for it. Even better than that, He knows what you need, but you wouldn't even dare ask for it. We wouldn't even think to ask for it. Before the thought even comes into your mind, Christ knows your heart and intimately knows your thoughts. This knowledge that Christ has of his sheep should do two things, I think, for us. It should first cause you to repent. Christ knows what you're thinking And too often, those thoughts are sinful and wicked and need forgiveness. But Christ, the good shepherd, graciously stands ready to forgive. But another thing that this intimate knowledge of Christ should do for you is to give you comfort, to give you peace. Christ knows your rising up and your lying down. He knows that, that you need to be led to the green pastures and still waters of his sheepfold. Christ stills your soul and leads you to paths of righteousness, not for your own sake, but as as David says in Psalm 23, for the sake of his name, for his name's sake, he will lead you down paths of righteousness. Not only does the good shepherd know his sheep, but the sheep know him. In the parable, the the sheep don't go when the strangers call because they know it wasn't their master's voice that they heard. They won't 
be deceived by a false shepherd because they're so, they, they, they so intimately know their good shepherd who leads them and who goes before them along all of life's paths. And Christ, in verse 15, then tells us that the knowledge between shepherd and sheep can be compared to that knowledge that the Father and the Son share with one another. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples who ask to see the Father, they say, Jesus, show us the Father. What does he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, Christ says, you have seen the Father. To know one is to know the other. Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is God-made man, God-enfleshed. To know Christ is to know the Father. This statement that the knowledge of shepherd and sheep can be compared to the knowledge of father and son is a deep, deep mystery. We're only given hints, small glimpses throughout Scripture of the interpersonal relationships of the three persons of the Trinity. Because this mystery is so profound, we can't say much about that knowledge that the Father and Son share of and with one another. Think about your most personal relationships. Maybe it's with your spouse or your parents or your children or or very, very close friends. You have a a deeper understanding of that person than you have of, of strangers or others you might not know as well because of your love for, support to, and knowledge of that person. Those relationships are so much uh, more life-giving to you because your knowledge of that person is so much stronger and deeper than with others. But no matter how deep your knowledge of another person, no matter how well you know your spouse or your children, still pales in comparison with the knowledge shared between the persons of the Trinity. Why is that? Sin. Sin clouds all your interactions. It interferes with your knowledge of of other people, and it impedes your love. But the Father and the Son do not have such an impediment. Scripture tells us that God is perfect, that no sin was found on the lips or in the heart of Christ, that God is perfectly holy, holy, holy. Scripture tells us that God is light and there's no darkness in Him at all. Therefore, the knowledge that the Father and Son have of one another is not clouded by sin. It's not affected by the fall in any way, but it's only pure and perfect knowledge. It's intimate and mysterious knowledge. And even when you and I are free from sin, on that great day when Christ returns, even then we still won't be able to plumb the depths of the mind of God and know Him exhaustively. We will certainly know Him better. We will know Him sinlessly even, but we won't know Him completely because you and I are finite creatures and He is our infinite creator. Jesus tells us that this knowledge that he has of his sheep doesn't just cover or extend to those who are within the fold currently, but goes out 
and extends even to those farther reaches, to those who will one day come into the fold by grace through faith. Christ, in verse 16, hints at the fact that Christ is not the Savior of the Jewish people only, but that Gentiles will also be engrafted into the people of God. Christ has more sheep, he says, and he will surely bring them all into the fold. And until he returns to take us home to make all things new, the work of evangelism is not over. There are still more of Christ's sheep who need to hear his voice and who need to follow him into the fold. Dear one, the fact that Christ is your good shepherd is a mighty comfort, isn't it? Christ tells you and me here in this passage that he knows and loves his sheep. No matter what you're enduring, no matter what hardship you're suffering right now, no matter what anxieties and worries are plaguing your heart and mind, take comfort in the fact that Christ knows you. Christ loves you. Christ is caring for you. Your under-shepherds here in the church will fail you, but your good shepherd never will. Never will. Dear believer, in Christ, you lack no good thing. As Psalm 23 says, because you are in the hands of your good shepherd, you shall not Christ, your shepherd, cares for you. Christ cares for his precious sheep, and he also calls them by name, and they respond to his voice. This is a key aspect of what it means to be a sheep of the good shepherd. Without knowing the shepherd's voice, a sheep would be lost, wandering from place to place, looking for someone to follow, someone to show him the way. Sheep then need to spend time with their shepherd so they can recognize his voice when he calls for them. So too, those who are the sheep of the good shepherd, you and I need to be intimately familiar with the sound of Christ's voice. It's said that those who work for the government investigating criminals who print and use counterfeit bills, that these government Uh, workers don't spend their time studying the counterfeits. They don't try to, to look to the fakes. Instead, they spend their days studying the real thing, studying real money. That way, when they encounter a fake, they'll be able to spot it right away because it's not the genuine thing. The only way not to follow the counterfeit voices of strangers is by studying the genuine artifact, by intimately knowing the voice of the good shepherd. And so you, dear believer, sheep of the flock of God, under the care of your good shepherd, study your master's voice so that you can recognize it and be on guard against the voices of false shepherds. Familiarize yourself with its pitch and its tone. Christ speaks to us in his word. So study it on your own, with your family, with the church. Sit under the preaching of God's word. Receive the word of God. 
in the sacraments. Know your master's voice and follow after him. Christ is the good shepherd of the sheep. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Christ, our good shepherd, died for sinners like you and me. He laid down his life on your behalf for you. Christ died the death that you deserve, and he gives you the life that he earned by his obedience to his Father's will. Believe in Christ, and you will be saved. Rest in Christ, and he will lead you to those wonderful green pastures and quiet waters where he will feed and restore your soul. Let us pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ is indeed our shepherd. We thank you that you did not leave us in our sin, but sent Christ as our substitute to die in our place, to do what we could not do. We thank you, O God, that we can say along with Paul, Christ loves me and gave himself up for me. Praise you, O Lord, for all that you have done for us in and through Christ our Savior. And we pray all of this in his mighty name. Amen.